Brandon's always ready. <laughs> then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. Pause. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So just so you know the landscape, right? So Jesus spent most of his time in Galilee, which is about, you know, like from, from here to L.A. distance. So in the north area in Galilee, it's beautiful. That's where he spent most of his time doing his ministry. Jesus would come to Jerusalem during the, the, um, the festivals, right, the Passover and things like that. So he would make that journey. But I mean, you know, on a donkey or, or on foot, you know, it's about a five-day journey. So um, he would come a couple times a year. And so he's been in Galilee. So now he's getting ready to come and, and, uh, and, and be crucified. And he knows that. So he's on his way. This is before the Lord's Supper. This is before he's in the garden. And so Bethany is literally on your way to Jerusalem. You're kind of coming up to the Mount of Olives. At the base of the Mount of Olives on the other side is this little town called Bethany. He's been here before. And we know the story. And we're going to kind of get into that. These are familiar characters in this story. Um, and so we continue on. It says that they made him a supper. And, Mar- and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And so, as I said, these are familiar characters. So in this story, we have the disciples and some other people that are at this house, and then we have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So Mary and Martha, right, it's the same Mary and Martha a couple chapters earlier, where Jesus comes to hang out with them, teach them, disciple them, and Mary's sitting at his feet, and Martha's scurrying around serving, and right, it's that whole thing of Mary and Martha, Mary's the one that sits at the feet, and Martha's the one that's constantly striving, and Martha's complaining, remember? She's complaining like, come on, just like have Mary help me a little bit here. She's just sitting there, and I'm doing all the work, and Jesus is like, no, that's, that's actually what you should be doing, um, and I'm not going to take that away from her. So that was a couple of chapters earlier. That's Mary and Martha. So then a, a few chapters later, we see Mary and Martha again with Lazarus. This is a family. Lazarus is their brother, and so Lazarus was dead. And they asked him to come before he was dead. And would you please save Lazarus? He's really sick. And then he died. And so then Jesus decides, well, now I'm going to go. He goes to their village. Everyone's weeping. It's this big commotion. The whole village, like Lazarus is this celebrated dude. And he's dead. And he's literally in the tomb. He's wrapped up in grave clothes. And Jesus comes raises him from the dead. So now, a couple chapters later, Jesus is coming back. And he loves this crew, like Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Besides the disciples, they're kind of his people. He likes spending time here. We see that in Scripture. And so he's hanging out. He's like, you know, I'm getting ready to go die. So my like, last will and testament, I'm going to hang out with my friends. So he's going to Bethany to hang out with this crew of people who've really had some pretty amazing encounters with Jesus. For, first and foremost, um, they just raised, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. So last week, we ended with this unmistakable reality, and that is that where there is unity, God commands a blessing. That the body of Christ, when it's working, when it's functioning in this beautiful symphony, that 
it's an incredible thing that takes place. And, and that's what God has called us to, to be, is his body. That is Heart Church. We are a community. It's Koinonia Fellowship. It's something that you can't get anywhere else. And it's beautiful. So I want to continue that train of thought, that idea, in, in this series called Invited to the Table. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Jesus, I pray that it would be alive to us today. It would not be simply a history lesson. Lord, it wouldn't just be some good thoughts or ideas. But Jesus, you would transform us by your word. And God, that we'd see you more clearly and we'd recognize today what it looks like to be your church. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so I don't know about you, but, um, but I've taken a lot of personality tests. Um, there, there's a lot of them out there. And if you're in corporate America, your business or corporations probably picked one of the different streams of these personality tests. But there, there's a lot of them. Like there, there's the Myers-Briggs, which is kind of cool. You know, you pick a few le- out of eight letters, you get four. Um, and then there's the disc, right? It's a circle and you kind of get a slice of the pie. And, and then there's like the gifts finder, right? Where you read this book, it has all kinds of language about who you are. And then there's the newest one, which is the Enneagram. And it's like, I've taken so many of these tests, I just couldn't continue going down the rabbit trail. So I took the red pill instead of the blue pill and didn't go take that test particularly, but I've taken all the other ones. Nevertheless, the idea is, our culture is excited about helping you discover who you are, which nothing against that. I actually really enjoy and have benefited from some of those tests and studies. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody taken any of those that I mentioned? So super helpful, especially within a corporation. Um, and, and we have a tendency of sort of pigeonholing ourselves into this is who I am, right? Now, granted... Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an age-old kind of phrase, know thyself, which actually sounds biblical. It's not, but, it, you know, it sounds biblical, you know, know thyself. Um, and, and I think that there's some value to that, like know who you are and what you're good at and kind of flow in that strength. That's not what this sermon's about, but I appreciate and value that train of thought. The problem is when we, when we sort of pigeonhole ourselves to the point where we're kind of stuck, right? Because this is who I am and this is who I'm not. And even within the body of Christ... We can, we can kind of say, well, I mean, if we're a body, then maybe I'm the foot, and so I do Y, or I'm the neck, and so I do X. And, and we, sort of, we sort of put ourselves within the body of Christ or within a fellowship or a connection of family. This is who I am, and this is what I do. And there's really not a lot of outs, anything outside of that. Even when we're talking about personality temperaments, like we limit ourselves big time. Because it's like, well, this is just who I am, right? These are my weaknesses. These are things I struggle with. These are things I'm not good at. And so, therefore, we're not going to volunteer and we're not going to step up in certain areas because it's just like, that's just not me. Anybody ever had that thought, said that word? That's just not me. Come on, show of hands. Come on. Quan, I know, I know, I know you're with me. I could see you're like, you're right there with me. And, and again, there's some value to understanding who we are, but I believe that in doing some of these things, we really, we're really can, can and borderline on being stuck. And I wrote this down. We can, 
we can enable our insecurities and justify our misplaced identity. If we're not careful, we can, we can enable our insecurities. Because, well, it's just, I'm just not that person. Or I'm just not that way. I just don't do that. I've never done that. And so that's just not me. And really, it's just like building a barrier around some of our insecurities. And, and then we justify our misplaced identity. And I've done this. I told you about when I said I'll never be a senior pastor. Careful when you say to God, you'll never, right? Because we justify it. Well, no, 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 no. I'm never going to be a senior pastor because that's not my calling. And because I'm not senior pastor material, because I don't think I could ever preach to adults, right? There's all these, maybe I'm, I'm called to youth. There's all these ways that we build a barrier around it. And we say, that's who I am. That's my identity, but really, we've just let our insecurities build a wall around us, and we've pigeonholed ourselves, and then we take personality tests, and we say, see? And then we, and then we, then we talk to everybody else, and what everyone else is saying about us, and we go, and we build this little world, and it's a tiny little world we've created for ourselves, and God's saying, you're so much more than the things you've done. You're so much more than your failures, than your regrets, than your fears, than your anxieties. Even you're so much more than your successes. You're more than your job. You're more than the things you do. You're so much more than that. So quit allowing those things to define who you are in this body. Anybody with me? There's a saying that, um, that my pastor in Olympia, Washington, I spent 12 years under, always used to say, and, and I love it, and I love it even more when we say it in the mirror to ourselves. And it simply goes like this. You're greater in the eyes of the Lord than you are in your own. You're greater in the eyes of the Lord, in His eyes, in His mind. You're much greater in His eyes than you are in your eyes. Why? Because, because we... We, 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 we pigeonhole ourselves and we limit ourselves to, to this tiny little, this is my existence, this is who I am, these are my strengths, these are my, this is what I can bring to the table. And God's like, there's way more than that. And so I put this, I am greater in the eyes of the Lord than I am myself. So I want us to read that together. One, two, three. I am greater in the eyes of the Lord than I am in my own. So powerful. I am not the sum of my failures or regrets. I am not defined by my job, family, personality test or perceived strengths and weaknesses. No, not today. I am a redeemed, blood-bought, Holy Spirit-filled child of God. I am called, chosen, and handpicked to be a part of this family. So who you are in this family is not who you think you are coming in. It's like, oh yeah, I've been a part of a family before, or a church before, or you know, I kind of get, so this is sort of where I fit. This is what I get to do. And even when I talk to people, like, hey, you know, so what, how do you want to get involved? Again, we always go back to, well, this is what I did before, and this is what I totally didn't fail at, so maybe that's what I could do. And, and, and what I'm saying is, you are called and chosen to be a person that walks in as a child of God, filled with the Spirit of God, not putting limits on yourself based on what people have said, based on failures or regrets, or even your successes. You're a child of God. So I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23 to you because it's a beautiful picture of what the body is and what it does. It says this, the church, that's us, is his, Jesus' body. 
And what does that mean? Well, it means it is made full and complete by Christ who fills everything everywhere with himself. So, pop quiz. How does Jesus fill everything everywhere with himself? Through the body. See, when I, when I discovered this, I was like, oh my gosh. When I saw this for the first time, Jesus is no longer on the earth. Newsflash. He went to be to heaven, with heaven, in heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He is making intercession for you and me. He's no longer here in bodily form. He was here 2,000 years ago. He walked around. He did amazing things. And the disciples got to hang out with him. And we were reading stories about all the things he did. He was here. He's no longer here, which means his body is no longer here. You know who his body is now? We are now the person of Jesus Christ. He fills us completely. We are complete by Christ. And as we go, he goes. So every place that you go, he's filling with himself. You ever, you ever thought about it? Like, when I go to work, I'm a part of the body of Jesus that brings life everywhere I go. It's not just on a Sunday morning. This is, not, this is a beautiful expression of the body. But when you get together with one of your friends and you go to Starbucks, the person of Jesus is filling that place because you're there. Come on! It's beautiful. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter how confident you think you are. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you know. It doesn't matter if you're going and floating on a cloud because you just had an amazing time with Jesus or you just screwed up royally and you're hanging your head. Either way, Jesus is there. The name that is above every name, yeah, that Jesus. He's present through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you and you're there with him and he's moving. And it's amazing. This is the body. This is what we get to do. And so what I love about this story, and you guys are like, what does this have to do with Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Get back to the story, Shane. Okay. So, so what I love about this story is it demonstrates the body at work and the release of the sweet fragrance of Christ when it is. You've been around the body where there's a fragrance. The, 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 the body of Christ. I, I hope that you've, you've felt that, sensed that, smelt that at Heart Church. And, and I know you have. You walk in and you're just like, yeah, there's something about this place. Something about these people. Like it's, it's amazing. It, it smells like... It smells like lavender. Right? Like the smell is unmistakable right? You know the beautiful thing about smell? And I learned this from a wine connoisseur. At our uh, previous church, there was a guy that had this like full-on cellar. I thought it was a dungeon, and then I realized it was a cellar. And he took me to his house, and he took me down, though, and he was just like big, big time into, you know, 
vintage wines and everything. But he explained to me why you drink wine the way you do. Now listen, I don't know anything about wine, but I know a little bit because this guy told me is that you know, the wine cup is interesting because you, you, it's big enough to stick your nose in, right? Now those of you who drink wine you know, more than just you know, once a year uh, you know, at New Year's or something, know this. When you drink wine, you stick your nose in and you kind of like smell it first, right? You kind of swish it around. You guys are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, try it with grape juice then. But anyway, the, the point is a wine glass has a big, a big top to it, right? It's not like a Coke bottle. It's got a, and, and it's designed to put your nose in there, smell it, and then drink. And I never knew why until he explained it to me. Because God designed our bodies, our taste buds, to work in conjunction with our sense of smell. It's beautiful. And so once I realize that, when I do drink wine, which isn't very much, but when I do drink it, I make sure that I engage my nose because the taste opens up. I never used, I never do that with Coke. I'm just pounding Coke. I'm not like trying to stick my nose and get a, get a whiff of it and then pound it. You don't do that. You just drink Coke. But when you're drinking wine, you stick your nose in there and you get a big whiff and then you put it in your mouth and it's like Disneyland in your mouth. It's amazing. Why? Because that's the way God designed it. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste it. Just taste it. It's like a strawberry. You can't explain it. What does a strawberry taste like? Well, I don't know. It's, it tastes like a strawberry. It's hard to explain. But when you smell it first, when you catch the fragrance of the body at work, it's beautiful. Because there's, there's something about it, and you can't put your finger on it, and you smell it and it's there, and it's real, and you just catch a whiff of it. And then you taste the goodness of God. And it's Disneyland. It's amazing. And that's the way God designed the body to be, carrying the the fragrance of his presence so that people who have tasted church who've tasted reading their Bible, who've heard the guy on the loudspeaker, right? You know, the, heard, heard the, the, seen the, the, the posters of like, you know, repent, you're going to hell, right? And just some of the, some of the maybe more hardcore like gospel, right? That's, that's not necessarily wrong, but it's just like grabbing a piece of fruit or something without any smell or fragrance to it. But the body brings a beautiful fragrance of who he is so that when somebody tastes, it's like, oh my gosh, this, this all makes sense and it's beautiful. So what we see in this scripture is a picture of this body working. And notice Mary. The last time we saw her, she just sat. The last time we saw Mary, she just sat at the feet of Jesus. She did nothing. Notice Lazarus. The last time we saw him, he was dead. But today is a new day. I want to speak that to you. Today's a new day. You're not rolling on what happened yesterday, good or bad. Today is a new day. His mercies are new. Today... Today is the day of salvation, which means today is the day of new beginnings. Today is a new day. It was for them, for Mary, for Lazarus. 
Mary's not claiming her seat. She's not rolling in. No, no, I, I sit next to Jesus. That's what I do. I sit. Martha, you serve. Lazarus, you need ministry. And Lazarus, he's not dressing up in grave, grave clothes, right? Singing about the good old dead days. He's not doing that. He's not reliving it. He's not rehashing it. It's the new day. I refuse to let my insecurities hold me back. How about you? My perceived weaknesses and limitations not going to define me today. How about you? I'm not stuck and I'm not waiting to feel worthy. I am invited to the table. And I want to explain the table for a little bit. Um, So the table means two things. Uh, If you were here during uh, a previous series, I used this table and I filled it with all kinds of things. And I talked about the table that God invites us to as his shepherd. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And that's part of what this table is. But the other part of it is it's a family table. I love the fact that if I walked into most of your houses, I could instantly identify where the family gathers around the table. Some, sometimes it's round, sometimes it's square, sometimes it's tall, sometimes it's short, sometimes it's out in the patio, sometimes it's in the kitchen, sometimes, right? But it, there's a table where people gather around and we are family there. And that's really the table that I want to talk to you about. That's really the table when we say you're invited to the table. This table is our table, our family table. Now, now this family table, you, you know, some of you, you, you may um, you know, automatically think about where you fit at this table. And again, those are preconceived ideas, but I just want to highlight the fact that you are invited to the table with us. And I have three ideas, and really there are three postures, and the first one is invited to sit at the table. You are invited to sit at the table. I love this because it says Lazarus just sat at the table. And, and it's interesting because the whole thing was about Lazarus. I mean, not to Jesus, but to everybody else. The only reason why people were there is it says they came to see Lazarus because Lazarus ro- rose from the dead. So they were like, I just want to see if it's real. I want to see if Jesus is real. And so they all came to gather around this place and go, oh my gosh, Lazarus. And it's funny because this story has nothing to do with Lazarus. Even though that's why people came, it ended up being nothing about Lazarus. And that's why I love it. I love it because Lazarus gets to sit at the table. Sorry, I forgot to get my stool. Online, sorry, I'm still here, still here, still here, still here. Okay, hi. I love the fact that Lazarus got to just sit at the table. And sometimes it's going to be all about you. Sometimes you need prayer, sometimes you need ministry, sometimes you're on the stage, sometimes you get a role, and sometimes you get to do this. And maybe not physically, but metaphorically, sometimes it's not about you at all. And I don't mean that like, it's not about you, don't be so selfish. I mean that like Lazarus was at this party and the party was kind of about him and he is the least talked about. All it says about Lazarus at his party is, He sat at the table. 
Now, most of us think that in order to sit, we got to earn our seat. I don't know if like at big dinners and Thanksgivings and things, like if the patriarchs of the family have like their seat at the head of the table. I know I do. Like when we do Thanksgiving, we have my folks over, my dad gets to sit on one end and yeah, I'm sitting at the other end of the table, right? Because that's, I've earned that seat and my dad's definitely earned that seat and kids, you're lucky to make it at the table, right? <laughs> Depending on how many people are there, you know? Um, and, and that's just kind of the way it is. And we can easily bring that mentality to church to say, listen, like, I'll, I'll sit, and I appreciate you just allowing me to do that, but, but I need to earn it. I need to earn my keep around here. I need to earn my place with God. I need to do some stuff before I just do nothing. Like, doing nothing is enjoying the fruit of your labor, and I haven't labored. I, I, just, I just came. I just got here. I, I don't, I, so I need to earn my spot. And what I love about this is if there is anybody that should have been serving dinner and doing cartwheels and writing thank you cards, right, to all of his friends that came over and celebrating Jesus and finding some oil that he had and pouring it on, you know, Jesus' feet and maybe not rub it with his hair because that would have been weird, but done something was Lazarus. Jesus just raised him from the dead. Come on, Lazarus, do your part. Right? And no, that's not what we see. We see Lazarus being raised from the dead. And he shows up at his party and he's like, no, I'm just going to sit here. Which means two things. This doesn't have to be about me. That's the first thing. I don't need attention. Listen, the last story about me, it was like a chapter and a half, and I got all the attention. I was dead, and I got raised to life. So everyone knows the name Lazarus. I get it. But here at this party, where everyone came to see me, I don't need that. I'm good. You know what I need? I need to sit at the table that my shepherd prepared for me. I just need to sit next to Jesus. And I need, I need to receive from him. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's such a profound posture when we learn as a people, as a body, as a family, you are invited to sit. And it doesn't mean you're wounded. It doesn't mean you're lazy. It means you're a son and daughter. You know what sons and daughters do? They sit. In a healthy home with a mom and a dad and a beautiful reunion where kids are home from college or whatever and they're hanging out, you know what the beautiful, most sweet, sweet times are? You're hanging out in the living room. What are you doing? You're sitting doing a whole lot of nothing. There's no striving. There's no, oh, dad, I've been away for so long. Let me, let me make up for the two years I was away at college for just like working with you and doing stuff for you. It's just like, no, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Let's hang out. You ain't got to work for this. Don't you dare trade sitting for striving. Not in this house. You are invited 
to sit. Now, this is not just a posture. It's not a posture you earn, and it's not a posture that you just get to have when you first come. Hey, when the new people, they get to sit because we don't trust them with anything significant. So just sit there for a while, and then, and then pretty soon you'll do fun stuff. No, sitting is a posture that we always do, and you'll see this about all three of these things. It's a rotation. And can I tell you as a pastor, I'm not the busybody pastor. You know what I do a lot of? Sitting. Because sitting keeps you healthy. There are things that you can only get at the table. And you're not going to get them serving the table. You're not going to get them ministering at the table. You're just going to get them sitting at the table. You are worthy and invited to sit at this table. How are you doing at sitting? You're like, well, I'm sitting right now, so. <laughs> Second thing is invited to serve at the table. You are invited to serve at the table. I love, um, I love this picture of Martha. And honestly, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't see this uh, before when I read this, that because originally I was like, really, Martha, you're serving again? Come on. Like the last time we saw you, you're spinning your wheels and Jesus kind of rebuked you. And now here you are serving again. But the, but, but the narrative has changed. And it's changed in a beautiful way. Martha's been through a lot. Martha went through kind of getting rebuked by the Lord and Mary chose the better thing. And it's like, okay, I'm, before I'm spinning my wheels trying to get approval. We've all been there. We've all been in that place where we're just like trying to get people to like us, trying to earn our place with God. And so we're working, we're working, we're striving, we're striving. And that was Martha. But here we see something different. In in Mark chapter 10, um, this was Martha before. It says, Mary, uh, Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner. Don't miss this. She was preparing. Who was preparing it? Martha was. Who was Martha preparing the dinner for? Yeah, it really wasn't Jesus, though. That's the interesting thing. Jesus didn't come over for dinner. And we know that based on his response. Mary was doing nothing. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus while Jesus taught her. And Jesus was hoping Martha would do the same. I didn't come over for dinner. I didn't come over for dinner. I came over to be with you. And instead of being with me, you bounced into the kitchen to try to prove how awesome you are. I don't need you to do that. I created you. I know you. I knew all the thoughts that you've ever had in your entire life. I know, scary. You don't need to go prove something to me. I just would love to spend some time with you. And she prepared a dinner because she needed it. She needed it. It wasn't about Jesus. You ever seen anybody serve? but they're not serving the table. They're serving their own need. Like, I'd love to think I was here to serve the greater good, but really, this is about me. I need you to acknowledge me. And Jesus is like, wait, first of all, take a seat. I don't need you to do nothing. And second of all, if you're going to serve, do it out of the overflow. The best serving comes from sitting. 
Don't miss this. The best serving comes from a posture that goes, I know I don't have to do any of this. It's not expected of me. I'm not earning nothing around here. I'm not earning my spot. I got my spot. I've already been invited. And then when there's a need, it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So check this out. Martha at the table, the narrative changes and it says, go back to the, um, the uh, invited to serve at the table. There, they, everyone say they. There, they made him supper. Who, who made him supper? They did. And they made Jesus supper. The other one was Martha was doing her thing. Ooh, aren't you cool, Martha? Jesus isn't even hungry. What are you doing? She's making her best cake because she needs somebody to say, wow, Martha, you make great cake. <laughs> Here, it's a dinner. And they're making dinner. And Martha's like, wow, I really want to serve the table. I don't, I'm not here to serve my needs. I don't need accolades. That's not what we're doing here. I get accolades from sitting at the table with my father. And he tells me how awesome I am. I don't need you to tell me that. I get it from him at the table next to Jesus. It's amazing. He tells me who I am and how valuable I am. And it has nothing to do with my works. It's nothing to do with how awesome my productivity is because my productivity is not awesome. Sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. And so I would be this horrible roller coaster, but instead I'm not a roller coaster because my father tells me that I'm valued and I'm worthy. And from that place, I get to go, wow, there's some needs at the table. Can I help? This is the beautiful thing about serving. And serving isn't something that's a gift mix. By the way, this is the, this is the, the challenge with, with serving. And I've seen it in a lot of churches, is that, is that we, can make this, we can make this little pocket over here. Well, these are the people that serve. And they serve because that's what they do, and they don't really do anything else. And so they can be a greeter, or they can help with the coffee, or they can be on the security team. I have a buddy that's been going to church for 15 years, and all he's ever done is security. And I think that's what he thinks that's all he could ever do. I'm like, you're more than security, bro. Come on, you're the body of Christ. And so, and so serving is something that we all do. Now, some people like to be behind the scenes more than others. I get that. But here's, I want to speak this to you. It's not all you can do. That's not everything about who you are at this table. We are invited to sit. All of us. And the minute that you graduate from sitting, you're striving. We get to sit. Nothing expected. You don't need to earn your worthiness. You're worthy. The minute you walk through that door, you're worthy. And then from here, we get to serve. I don't need a call. I don't need a word from the Lord to serve. I don't need a brilliant idea. I don't need the pastor to call me individually. Well, I'm the pastor, so that would be weird. But I don't need somebody to invite me specifically. I, I'm a part of the family. And when there's a need at the table, 
how can I serve? Because it's so much fun. It keeps me grounded. I love serving. And you love serving. I'm talking to the choir here. You guys are an incredible serving church. But it's beautiful because it comes out of the overflow. Like, how can I serve the table? What's going on at the table? And and Martha's like, listen, I've done my own thing. I was on the roller coaster trying to get all kinds of approval, and no one was giving it to me, and I was blaming everybody else, and I was always the victim. But that's changed. Jesus changed me, and now I'm at the party for Lazarus, who doesn't really seem all that excited and doesn't even have his party hat on, and I see there's a need at the table, and I'm like, how can I help? How can I help? Are you with me? Lastly is we are invited to minister. I mentioned that uh, we serve because it's beautiful when we do. There's a part of the fragrance that's released when the body is the body. And the body isn't the body just when we minister. The body is the body when we sit wow, you guys are really good sitters. And it's beautiful. We just know how to be. And, the, and, and, and it's beautiful when the body serves. Like, how can I help? How can I be a part just because I love what God's doing? And there's a fragrance that's released. And lastly, bringing it all together you're invited to minister because there's more inside of you. Those of you guys who only serve, there's more inside of you. You're not just called to sit, and that's not just a season. That's life. We sit, and then we serve. That's not a calling. That's just, there's a need at the table. How can I help? But there's more inside of you because you're called to be a minister. Here we see Mary taking a very different posture. The first time we saw Mary, she sat She did nothing. She learned the fine art of, I just want to receive. I don't need to earn anything. Here, uh, we see something very different. And I just think, like, the disciples were probably going, Mary, are you sure you're qualified for this? You ever felt like, maybe maybe I'm, am I qualified to be a minister? Am I qualified to do something more than just serve? Am I qualified to do something more than just sit? I mean, I don't feel worthy to do something more than that. What would I do? What would, what would me as a minister even look like? And that's why I love this story. Because, because Mary makes it really simple. We talked about a fragrance. This beautiful fragrance that the body of Christ lets out when it's the body. The body sits, the body serves, and the body ministers. And I'll tell you what, this was unplanned. It was unorganized. It was a little bit messy. The disciples were complaining, like, what is she doing? First of all, she's a woman. And women don't really, they don't, in this this culture, now in our culture, women are like the top, right? Like better half thing, right? And And I love women ministers. But in this culture, women were not that. And yet she rolls in and totally steals the show. It was all about Lazarus. He got raised from the dead. And here comes Mary. And she's not trying to steal the show. She's not trying to be a big deal. She's just got some oil. She's got some oil. And it was overflowing. I mean, can you imagine... That morning, Jesus is coming. 
it's not their first time to see Jesus. They've hung out with Jesus a lot. Jesus is their friend. He's not a superstar. I mean, he's the son of God, but he was their friend. Like he wept with them when Lazarus died, even though he was going to raise Lazarus. He was their friend. Can you imagine Mary when we woke up that morning? And she saw some oil on the table. And it's her most precious possession. It's worth about $30,000 today's wage. And oil represents a lot of things. It represents the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God that overflows, the presence of God. She had some oil that was overflowing in her life. And she just thought, I have to do this. I have to spill the oil out on somebody. And at the end of the day, ministry is simply that. Man, I've spent some time with Jesus. I've spent some time serving some people. And I'm so filled up with his oil. I got to give it to somebody. And now, Alex doesn't stink. I got to give it to somebody. And then we get to pass it around. We get to give oil away. This is ministry. It's messy. It's unplanned. It's not preparing a sermon. It's not leading a band. It's not these structured, organized ministries. We need all that. But at the end of the day, how we are called to function as the body to spread this beautiful fragrance of God is simply, God, I thank you that you have given me some oil today. And it's not yesterday's oil. It's not this awesome sermon I read a long time ago. It's the goodness of God in my life. And I feel it in the palm of my hand. And tomorrow, or this afternoon, God's going to give me an opportunity. And maybe I didn't even see it coming, but I just get to lay hands on somebody and go, man, this is not for me, but it smells good, doesn't it? It's the oil. And I can't help but give it. I can't help but give it. It's not because I have a position. It's not because I have a calling. It's because you got some oil from the throne room. And he's saying, it's not for you. Give it away. You know how much I would stink if I poured this oil all on me? That would be really strong. It's meant for just a little bit for today and pass it on. God has given you oil to give away. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says this, He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Anybody have received some comfort? Anybody been blessed by something in your life? Man, that's oil. As Martha served... Lazarus sat at the table and Mary ministered. The house was filled and everyone smelt the fragrance. Everyone was affected. Everyone in the house took notice of the demonstration of the body working in 
harmony. You're invited to sit. You're invited to serve at the table. You're invited to minister. Father God, I thank you for today and the beautiful fragrance of your body at work in this place. And so God, I thank you that as we go today, we go as your body, we go filled with the Holy Spirit and invited. Invited to take a posture of worthiness, sonship, daughtership, sitting with the king at his table. I thank you that we go with your, as your hands and feet to serve, to serve the table, to serve the needs, that it's your body at work. And God, we go to deliver oil to those that are thirsty. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.